This is a HeadGum Podcast. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Factually, the show for curious people who never stop asking questions. I am your host, Adam Conover, and I have an admission to make. I don't like cars. They are huge, they're expensive, they're contributing to climate change on a massive scale, and they have an upsetting habit of turning otherwise normal people into murderers. Uh, I just don't like them, and that's a tough thing to say in America, because America is a car country. We're the car country, frankly. I think if you sorted every structure in America by type, we'd be a third car dealerships, a third parking lots, and then a third freeways to drive from one to the other. Our big cities, and especially our smaller cities that surround them were created by people, but they were designed for cars with city plans that are basically only navigable if you're behind the wheel. Many people in this country literally can't get around their own communities without purchasing and piloting one of these super expensive murder machines. It's really, really frustrating. Well, personally, I got so frustrated that I actually quit driving. In Los Angeles, I quit driving. That's like saying, hey, I live in Atlantis, but I'm not going to swim to work, you know, but I'm doing it. Instead of driving, I take the bus. I took the bus here to record this today. I am a bus boy. And honestly, it has a lot of advantages. First of all, it's way cheaper than driving. Driving, you got to pay gas, insurance, repairs, plus the dang thing costs 20 grand to begin with. The bus costs under two bucks. But more importantly, when you get on the bus, and this is huge, you don't have to drive the bus. They don't give you a job at all. Instead, someone else drives it for you and you just sit there and read a magazine if you want. So relaxing and even bigger. Seriously, I might blow your mind with this one. When you get off the bus, you don't have to figure out where to park the bus. For all intents and purposes, it just disappears. Poof, you just go on your merry way. It's incredible. It changed my life doing this. Now look, I know I'm a weirdo, and I don't expect everyone else to do what I do at all, and I know that public transit has its disadvantages, too. You know, so many people have said to me, I would take transit if it were better, but there aren't enough routes by me, and it's way too slow. I get that. Heck, even I often find myself in a situation where, you know, I'm trying to go less than three miles, but the only available combo of bus routes would take me 90 minutes to get there, which is why I have to admit that I do have one dirty little secret. My all-transit lifestyle is only possible because I occasionally take Take a Lyft. Yes, I said it. Now, look, in a lot of ways, Uber and Lyft seem like they could be part of the answer, right, to our car problem. Because when these services first came on the scene, it started to seem like they would enable people to ditch their cars altogether and reduce the amount of driving, right? But unfortunately, now that they've been around for a few years, we know that's not really how these apps work. In fact, they end up putting even more cars on the road. A study found that ride-sharing apps are actually increasing traffic in a number of major cities and estimates that ride-sharing apps have contributed to an annual 5.7 billion miles more driven in those cities. 
Now, the big, obvious, and difficult solution to America's climate-killing car addiction is, of course, mass transit. But in many, many cities, like L.A., for example, where I live, ridership on the L.A. Metro's bus system has seen a drop of nearly 21% over five years. So... What all of this speaks to is that even though we know that cars and trucks are contributing to 20% of our emissions and hastening the climate apocalypse, untangling exactly how to get people out of them and provide other transit options is a lot harder than it seems. How do we create innovative solutions for transportation without accidentally causing more driving? How do we fix the fact that transit projects cost more here than they do in other rich countries? Do we want congestion pricing? Do we want taxes on Uber and Lyft? There are so many complicated questions that we need to be asking and so few clear answers. Well, with me here today to help pull back the curtain on how we're going to solve some of these massive challenges, we have one of the smartest transportation minds I have ever met. Her name is Salita Reynolds, and she is the general manager of LA's Department of Transportation. She took time out of her busy schedule to come down and talk to me today. Let's get to the interview. So, Salita, you are the general manager of the L.A. Department of Transportation. True. Uh, You came on the very first episode, I believe the first episode of my last podcast, and that was a couple years ago, and a lot of things have changed in L.A. Transit since, and it still continues to be a big issue, and so we thought it would be wonderful to have you back and help us kick off the new podcast. Thank you very much. And I will point out that uh, I made fun of, of VR goggles then, <laughs> and I will make fun of them again now. Oh, you can make even more fun of VR goggles now. Because they're still not a thing. They're less they're of a just, thing than they were. They're really not a thing. Oh my gosh. That would be a whole great episode of this show. It was incredible, incredible to think that three years ago, people were like, there'll be VR movies. There'll be v- everything VR, AR, VR, <laughs> QR codes, everything, everything that ends with an R has completely ended. <laughs> no one is- No more. No one is- no the, more. the money has fallen out of VR. Really? Yeah, yeah. All the investment has dried up. No no venture capitalists are putting money in it anymore. It must I'm a, be Nostradamus. Uh, you must. I'm a video game guy, so I've been tracking it. I actually read on a video game website, someone said, if an ed- I, wrote an, I read an, an article by an editor who said, if you even write an article about VR, people <laughs> won't even click on it. So it's like deader because than- it was so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Those goggles. Well, that was going to be a real thing? Come I on. Bought I bought a VR goggle set uh, because I'm a I'm, I'm a gamer and Good I and I bought a used Oculus at one point because I wanted it. There was one game that I wanted to play. It's called Star Trek Bridge Crew. It was actually very fun for the time that I played it. Mm. But the problem is when even when you're in your own home and you're all alone, when you have the goggles on, it's uncomfortable. You don't want to do it for more than half an hour. A because it makes you sick, um, but B because you're constantly terrified that someone is going to walk into the room and touch you <laughs> while you're wearing them. If you never let go of the fear. You could be all alone in your house. You're like, someone could be in here right now, and I will never know because I've got the goggles on. It's a, it's an unsettling amount of disconnection from reality. You, you know f- what? Yeah. I, I think it's hilarious that so many of these technology innovations, uh, and I'll include Hyperloop in this category, yeah, let's get into have that. not overcome some real basic things about humans, which mm. in- include the fact that our brains— and our bodies need to say the same thing, need to be in agreement about whether or not we are moving. Oh. And if we don't do that, we get sick. 
Yeah. So you're wearing your VR goggles and you're like, it's half an hour in and your brain and your body are telling each other two different things about yeah. whether or not you're moving. And you're like, I feel sick. You're in the hyperloop and you're going real fast, but there's no windows in the vacuum. Mm. And so your, your eyes are telling you, no, we're just sitting here in this chair and there's nothing going on. And your body's like, no, we're going 200 miles an hour. This is terrifying. <laughs> I can feel it. Yeah. Yes. And when I asked them about that, I was like, so what, how are you going to deal with the vomit problem? They were like, our engineers are working on it. And I was like, all right, good luck with that. Yeah. But can we just be honest about the fact that we shouldn't, if, if your transportation problem includes solving vomiting, maybe <laughs> go back to the drawing board. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Or at least to have a plan, you need to have a plan of, you need to have a plan of some kind. Yes. Uh, you told me, I, I mean, I guess we'll just jump into the Elon Musk stuff right away. Uh, it was my favorite topic of conversation. But you you told me last time we were hanging out that one of the things with the uh, – and this, and this, by the way, gets to the point that I want to hit on this uh, episode, which is about the sort of unintended consequences of transit solutions and how it's more complicated than it appears, including, I think, when, you know, the government puts together a transit solution. Absolutely. It's, it's more complicated than what it appears. But so one that – you pointed out to me that was fascinating. That's a beautiful example of this is Elon Musk's tunnels that he wants to build mm -hmm. for, you know, his transit solution. Um, and one of the keystones that he has built the entire pitch on is he can build them so fast and so cheap, mm -hmm. right? I have developed an entirely new way to build a tunnel that no one else can do. And it's super, super fast. And you said, you told me, well, actually what he's done is he's actually just bought an off the shelf boring machine that he's made some adjustments to. And the real reason it's faster is because it's a small tunnel That's compared right. to most subway tunnels. Congrats. Congratulations, you built a sewer tunnel. <laughs> yeah, and they're actually moving into the boring company. People are like, actually, we're thinking of like, you know, maybe getting into digging sewer tunnels and like electricity tunnels, <laughs> and that'll be a big part of our business. Perfect. Fine. Go do that. That's but great. But that's not, but Good there are already you. companies that do that. That's not an invention. Yeah, and that the innovation is like the, one of the innovations was one of the most expensive parts of digging a tunnel is what to do with the dirt. Mm. Once you get the dirt, what are you going to do with the dirt? We'll haul these, we got, and so there's just like miles of trucks that line up and you dump the dirt into the trucks and then the trucks go off to a, a God knows where and they dump the dirt and they come back and it's expensive and inefficient and dirty and terrible. Right. And so the innovation was we're going to take the dirt, we're going to make something with it on site. They make bricks yeah. uh, with it on site and then those weren't, bricks can be used as building material. Weren't they like giving out free bricks at the opening and so oh, yeah. you can hear you can everybody have a gets a brick. You get a brick. <laughs> you get a brick. <laughs> I get a brick. Oh my yeah. god, I, I got, got a, a brick. Elon brick. Yeah. Yeah. Um which but you know what? If that is uh if that's the innovation that comes out of that, that's a fine that's and good. worthy innovation to make tunnel building cleaner and more efficient sure. and more sustainable. Great, but, good job. But you pointed out that the problem with a small tunnel is that uh is emergency exits. That yeah. in a in a subway tunnel, like a New York City subway tunnel, for instance, or an LA subway tunnel, if the train stops in the middle, there's that little rim on the side so you can mm -hmm. get out and you could if it catches on fire, you could walk a hundred feet down or or, or a crew could come down with, you know, emergency equipment and stuff like that. But I've seen the, you know, the boring company tunnel that there is not room for that. If no. your car gets stuck, if your car stalls in the middle of the boring company tunnel, you are stuck there. Um, and so I just, for fun, a while ago, just started tweeting at Elon like once every couple days, like, hey, what's the emergency evacuation plan for a boring company tunnel in the event of fire? How'd that go for you? Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of people with anime avatars tweeted back at me. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Why do you? He's gonna figure it out. Why you have to ask so many questions? And but you know, I, I wasn't asking in a hostile way. I I was actually curious. That's that turned yeah, into my plan? that's my biggest question. And there is not a pl- there was not a plan offered. No. Um, and so that's I think a pur- perfect example of you know when we okay w- we can offer this plan that seems very futuristic and exciting, but there's so many considerations that we don't have. Uh, you know uh, that we don't know how it's going to play out. Um, and something I I talked about in the in the intro to the show is about how, for instance, uh, you know uh, ride sharing. Uh, everyone's assumption was kind of hey there, this was going to result in less cars on the road mm-hmm. um, because people won't have to own cars and instead they'll just be a small fleet flying around and like great I'll only need to sort of use a car when I need to use it I'll summon it and I'll pay a couple bucks and you know to have someone else drive me or I'll use someone else's car shouldn't that result in less cars on the road we now know that it results in more cars on the road um, and ne- so uh, that's bad right and being that our goal ultimately needs to be to get less people we have to drive cars. less we have, we to, have drive to drive less. less and everybody wants that because everyone even if you're not a green person as everyone should be but even if you don't care about emissions and carbon you want there to be less traffic so sure. you want less people to drive that would be good for you too um but then even with that goal uh la currently or in the time that i've been here is making this like relatively heroic effort to build mm-hmm. train lines and uh you know add more you know innovative kinds of buses and you know it feels like i'm sure there's other cities doing it better it feels like a relatively progressive activist city in terms of Absolutely. you know we're trying to add transit and yet Transit fell. Yes. Transit ridership fell last year, which shocked me because in the last year I started, I stopped driving and I started taking the bus personally. Um, and I what's your bus line? I took the two here. The two, me too. Oh, I can't believe we missed each other. Oh, were you taking it west or east? I was taking it from Silver Lake. Oh, I was taking it as well. So we, I was probably on the one you right were after. Probably you. on the one right after me. That would have been right. so fun if I had. Oh my gosh, there we go. <laughs> bus but then, friends. But then we would have had to talk to each other the whole way. It would have been so awkward. Oh, <laughs> when my really gosh. I just. Want to be looking at Twitter? I just, <laughs> <laughs> you can just leave me alone. So, but but you know, and I get on the bus and the train, and I'm like, these are nice systems. There's people on them. Uh, it we certainly could. It seems like people could be using them. Yet we are not. It's if it's supposed to be. If you build it, they will come. Seems like we've built it, and less people are coming. Mm-hmm. So. How do we, uh, what is our approach to, <laughs> to solving this problem? Oh, sure, Adam, no big deal. Yeah, um, in a sentence and I'll then we'll wrap it up. turn around five years of massive declines in transit ridership across every major U.S. transit system in, I don't know, two minutes. Wow. Um, is that is that the case? I didn't know it was that, it was that dire. It, 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 is, uh, it is definitely a strong trend. There's certainly cities that are exceptions to the rule. So Seattle has actually seen an increase in transit ridership. Mm. Uh, they also have Uber and Lyft, right, at the same time. Um, city of Houston has done some really interesting things to to uh, improve ridership on their buses. But yeah, in general, you know, this goal that uh, Uber and Lyft set out to, or at least, you know, what they wh- what they said, and I believe them, uh, was, you know, our goal is to uh, decrease the number of empty seats in cars, right? That was mm-hmm. the original idea. It was like carpooling on steroids. It's like, hey, I'm going here anyway, and you can
can book and get into yeah. my car. But there's all it, this unused space in the yeah. cars. And guess what? Instead of one person in a car, there's going to be two or three or four. Two or three or four. Yeah. And won't it be great? And we'll use technology uh, because, you know, Lyft's origin story is about those, uh, uh, shout out to Generation Xers who will remember this, those cork boards in college that would say, I'm driving to Providence next weekend. Right. Who wants to roll with me? Right. And you would do this weird, like, mm-hmm. ride matching thing on, like, gopher or Rode with some systems. weird kids in college. I rode yeah. with some weird kids in college. Yeah, by totally. Doing uh, it was, I'm sure, delightful for you and for them. <laughs> um, but the, I'm sure you're just ruining things all the way. <laughs> Talk about having like, to make conversation for two hours. Never again with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bad car seat guest. I'm a bad road trip guest. Um, but instead, what they did is create a lot of empty seats on transit. And mm. the reasons for transit ridership declining, and in particular in Los Angeles, that is really heavily focused on the bus system. Yeah. So the rail system, uh, the blue line uh, is struggling a little bit, but the expo line has really good ridership. That's it's the newest the, one, right? It's the one that goes from downtown to the beach. Yeah. Um, so the the um, challenge on the bus system, though, is that a few things are happening. One, as soon as wages rose even a little bit, people fled the system to buy cheap cars because cars in Los Angeles and in most American cities just get you access to orders of magnitude more jobs, opportunities, things. Right. Um, And then the second thing that happened is that a lot of the folks who are riding the bus, uh, lower income folks are displaced out Mm. of the out of the city. So the number two and the number four line, the one we were just talking about, uh, those lines go through the heart of um, Echo Park and Silver Lake and East Hollywood. Massive gentrification. All neighborhoods that have had massive gentrification. And so people who take the bus no longer can afford uh, to live in those neighborhoods. And so they're moving to neighborhoods where there's even worse bus service. Yeah. Um, And so that's another reason for the decline. But then over and over again, the data from San Francisco and and other places in New York is that Uber and Lyft are also responsible for some of that decline. Um, Because it gets back to another thing that was, I found just, I had a little giggle about when I was reading all the coverage of Elon's tunnel. This other really basic rule. So we talked about the vomit rule earlier. Um, There's this (laughs) other, I don't know. There's a better way of talking about that. I love the vomit rule. Inner ear vertigo. I don't know. It's the first thing they tell you when you become the LA manager, uh, general manager of the LA DOT. Hey, the vomit rule, you got to know. Actually, speaking of, I don't know if Spiegs is still here, but Eric Spiegelman, who is the president of the Taxi Commission, um, wrote this amazing article about transportation in the future. And in his article, he talks about how autonomous vehicles have had to solve the vomit problem. Um, Because when people are riding alone in those autonomous vehicles and there's no human in the loop, no chaperone, it's late at night, that there was a lot of stuff wow, happening really? in autonomous cars and so they've they've had to they've solved all of that right this is a vision of the future oh but they have solved it in the future. Oh, they will. In his oh, imaginary, in his imaginary future. You know, this is one of those like when you write a fiction, when you yeah. write a book report in school about him. Hey, it's the night. year twenty sixty, exactly. and the vomit problem the has vomit been solved. Has but been I solved. never thought of that. It's true. It could be like the sort of like cabbie when you're in a cab and the guy's got a really heavy foot, you know, yeah. on the on the brake, and you feel sick. That happens to me all the time. And and yeah, that or could, you're really drunk. Yeah. You're super overserved, and oh, you stumbled out of a yeah. bar, and it's two in the morning. Yeah, and you you know that that's. 
that's what happens, right? Yeah. People need chaperones. <laughs> Can we just make that another yes. rule? Anyway, the rule I was getting to is, uh, so Elon, when people were asking him, okay, well, how are you going to deal with the fact that uh, we have, we actually have a, a, a sort of um, point to point, very wide, efficient system to move cars right now. It's called the freeways. And we know it doesn't really work uh, because when we add capacity to the freeways, cars, you know, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, traffic is like water. It just follows to the the path of least resistance. I think traffic's more like gas. It just expands to right. fill whatever space you give it. We widen the 405. Just people happened, fill it yeah. right back up. It's this thing called induced demand. It's another real basic rule of transportation. And, and that is the more capacity there is, the more people say, hey, well, now I can get from A to B. Why don't I go from A to B? Yes. Uh, like using my car rather than taking the train or taking the bus or, you know, hey, there's right. a, there's an extra lane on the freeway. Might as well go use that lane. Yeah. And then people, uh, and so because the ability exists now, suddenly there's demand for it and it fills up. That's right. And it's a it's a resource everybody wants. It's pretty much free and there's bottomless demand. We've also known this since like the 50s. It's not new information, yeah. right? This is real well-established science. I, I read about this when they're about the first, I learned about this in the context of like Robert Moses in New York City, what, the stuff that he was building in the middle of the last century. Uh, induced demand was an issue with it. Yes. So, yeah. Right. So this is not a secret, but um, our friend Elon Musk was talking about, um, <clears throat> about and, you know, how he will handle this, this concept of induced demand. Well, you create this open place for cars to go. Isn't it just going to fill up with traffic? Look at the 405. And he said, I think induced demand is a red herring. <laughs> like it's not a red herring, homie. It's science. Yeah. And second of all, I'll just build more tunnels. Yeah. And I was like, what, to the molten core of the earth? Where <laughs> where does it stop? Right. But Uber and Lyft are violating the same basic rule, I, which I, is. I, I, was, I just want to add that I love this. I just want to expand on that point because he said, I will, I can build tunnels in 3D. When you go underground, you can build in 3D. And so you can build an infinite number of tunnels. Right. And I was listening to, there's a wonderful podcast called LA Podcast that, yep. I, that I really love. Um, Alyssa Walker said on that podcast. She's she, awesome. She pointed out, I love her. She And she was just on Adam Ruins Everything on an episode that'll come out later. Later this year. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, she was great. She was talking about traffic, traffic deaths, <laughs> really uh, light topic. Mm -hmm. But she said, look, have you ever like walked under a freeway overpass? Freeways are already in 3D. Three yeah. Freeways are flying through the sky all around us. Massive feats of engineering. Yeah. Like muscular things that we built. Yeah, they're already in 3D. We could build lots of them. You know, we, it's, it's not different that they're underground. So I'm sorry, please go also, on. Did the Lord of the Rings teach us nothing? <laughs> you know, when the Balrock comes up from the mines of Moria, it's because we went too deep, right? Like, <laughs> chill out on yeah. the tunnels that are going to stack on top of each other. And one of their, their staff told me, no lie. I was like, well, so how many do you think it's going to take? And they said, 200. 200 tunnels? <laughs> I was like, cool. That's cool. All right. 200 channels. Um, but, to, you know, to bring it back to Uber and Lyft, they're violating the same basic rule, which is when you make it easier for people to drive, or in this case, for people to book and call. To be in a car. A really yeah, to cheap. Go, to travel by car. Ride, yeah. Then people drive more, right? Yeah. It's the same reason why when we provide more parking, people drive more. When mm -hmm. parking is free, people drive more. When anything we do that makes it easier for people to drive, that removes any friction, then we see more people driving. Right. And, and, 
any transportation planner worth their salt can tell you that and could have told you, hey, unless we build in some real price incentives for carpooling on these platforms, what's probably going to happen is that we're going to see an increase in the overall number of trips that people are taking. So trips they never would have taken before, yeah. which you could argue is can be a good thing. There's, you know, maybe totally. you're going to go have lunch with a friend across town and, and that's good for a local business. Um, or you or you can go out. Uh, and, I mean, the best case, best use case for Uber and Lyft is you can go out to the bar and get home safely yeah. without without drunk driving. That's um, right. And maybe you go out to maybe you go to the friend's birthday because, you know, you can get there safely and back at 11 p.m. on a Friday. Yeah. And, and, that's, ideally, and that's, a, that's an enhancement to life that I don't yes. think we should downplay. But ideally, you should be taking the bus there and then maybe taking that back. Right. But sure. it's so easy and it's so cheap and it's so ubiquitous yeah. that it's much much better to just, you know, people just want to hit the button totally. on their on their smartphone. I mean, I use Lyft the most when I, you know, I go to set and my, uh, uh, you know, our set, we shoot in a different place in Los Angeles every day. And sometimes, you know, we were shooting, for instance, um, uh, you know, for three days in Acton. Um, and, you know, my call time is, is six in the morning. Right. And I, uh, I'm a bad driver. Um, and I was like, I realized once we started shooting, I'm just never going to be able to make these trips at six in the morning. And so, you know, the, li- the lift will take me like I because uh, I, uh, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I only learned to drive recently. I'm a uh-huh. bad driver. I'm uncomfortable on the freeway and I'm not going to make it that far. Right. <laughs> and so that's what I take. That's what I take Lyft to, you know, and that is. Um, and you're the talent. <clears throat> you need to arrive like fresh. Yeah. And not freaked out. I need to. Because I'm, of L.A. freeway traffic. Yeah. I'm sleeping in I the get car. It. You know, I get it. Um, totally. And so that's a case in which, uh, you know, it is uh, it is providing that enhancement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I see the point of there are so many cases in which, yeah, we're we're just adding people to the road. Um, but let me ask you this. Um, I tweeted the link that I saw about, uh, you know, how Uber and Lyft have created more traffic. And uh, so many people replied and said, well, I would take public transit more if, if, pu- if public transit were better. In my town, Public transit sucks. Is garbage. Is garbage, mm-hmm. and I can't get around. And now let's say some of those people, because I like to tell people in LA, hey, just open Google Maps or get the Go LA Transit just app. Just give it a whirl. And just look, you know, because that's what we fair, what we rarely do. And like often, oh my God, there's a bus that goes right from here to right, to, or a subway, right? Yeah. Um, I was, you know, I've, I've made the same trip over and over again for months before I finally did that and realized, oh, I could have been taking a bus the whole time, right? Now, so, but let's say that's some small percentage. There's still a lot of people who are living in places that where transit isn't that good. Mm-hmm. And like you say, cars do give people access uh, because, you know, uh, despite the fact that they're hideously expensive, prone to breakdown, dangerous, and contribute to climate change, they can take you from any point A to any point B, mm-hmm. you know, um, whereas no bus line is ever going to cover every single, you know, right. little location. Um, and so I understand emotionally why some people say, hey, uh, you know, traffic sucks, but overall this is more accessible. And what if we all just switch to driving Teslas or electric cars, right? And won't that be the, <laughs> you're pounding your head on the mic. Um, uh, but I understand where people are coming from when they make that argument. Um, and I don't want to be the person who's saying to people, well, you just should take the bus <laughs> at, like me and be green. All that you know? virtue signaling. Yeah. It's real tired. That's not, I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't want everyone. I, I take the, the reason 
reason I take the bus is because I'm more comfortable on public transit and I feel more like myself. And that's how I prefer to get around. I understand why people don't, especially when people say I don't feel safe on public transit. Right. Some people feel that way. Um, I, I know a few people who've had very dangerous incidents on public transit. Um, so uh, how do you how do you respond to that? argument that, hey, public transit isn't good enough. Cars give you so much more access. And really what we need to do is make that system greener and bigger and better. So the answer is we have to do both. And mm-hmm. when people tell me, you know, oh, public transit is just trash and I can't ever take it. And I, I ask them, well, when's the last time you actually tried took it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, they'll, I'll get different answers. The same thing happens when I ask people, you know, when, well, you know, I don't know damn bicyclists and there's just damn bike lanes. And I'm like, well, when's the last time you rode a bike? Oh, like 40 years ago. Right? <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, you need to, you need to be able to have, we, we have to have more sort of what I'll call modal empathy, right? We have mm. to be able to understand what it's like uh, for other, for, for people, other people to get around. Um, because the reason why uh, public transit is so terrible and driving is so easy is because we socially engineered it that way. Mm. And, you know, when people say, well, can't we just all be in EVs? Absolutely, we have to get to, uh, we have to electrify the fleet. We have to make it easy to to cheaply charge your electric vehicle, which gets into all kinds of really, you know, interesting topics about smart grids and energy and, and changes that we need to make there. But the fact of the matter is that electrification is hard, mm. but it is not controversial at all. Uh, and if we only choose to do things that are hard, but not controversial, we will never, ever, ever get to the place we need to be around mm. climate. And we won't have a planet yeah. that we can leave to any future generations. It's not going to be enough just to electrify the cars that we currently right. have, especially because as we've talked about, Adam ruins everything. There, there's a huge carbon impact of building the cars to begin with, yes. especially when people are on a three year, you know, new lease car upgrade cycle. They're, they're getting a new car every three years. And like, like that's there's a huge impact of the, of even just that that of building you- and powering them right and I saw something that said uh, that there is a tipping point where um, electric vehicles actually are are no longer in terms of their overall sustainability profile and footprint uh, are, they're no longer superior to diesel I think we're a really our, our gas we're a really long way away from that mm. um, especially in the United States where we don't we're you know de-escalating our reliance on coal I think that's less true however. Just imagine with me for a moment, we're gazing upon the 405 at, you know, 530 this afternoon. Now imagine all the cars are electric. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Right. I mean, we, the, the, the Californians buy over half of the EVs that are made in this country. And Mm. yet we've still seen tailpipe emissions go up 5% since 2013. Really? They've gone up in that They've gone up. And this is despite people doing a lot of work to try and, and change that narrative. I mean, California is probably one of the most sort of, um, out there states in terms of emissions requirements and, and all kind of commitment to clean air and all those other things. Yeah. Um, however, we got to drive less. Our way of life has to change. And in order to make driving 
and taking transit uh, a little bit more competitive, we have to do things that are controversial and not just hard, like take away a lane from cars and give it exclusively to buses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if the bus has to sit in the same congestion as a car does, then the car always wins. I fantasize about that constantly, just my own commute on Sunset. If there was one- You have some really nerdy fantasies, can you say? That's what I I do on a Friday night. That's what they tell me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, just if you imagine a a bus that has its own lane that um, other cars mm-hmm. that that at least can't be clogged in traffic I'm on gonna, Sunset, right yeah. on a major spine like Sunset, um, it would be competitive with a subway. Even it could yes. uh, it wouldn't be quite that fast, Absolutely. but it would be you you could go miles in minutes. Yes, you could. You could probably shave off you know twenty percent off of the overall travel time. Yeah, um, and and then people and if you did that and at the same time you ran more buses. Mm-hmm. So that you didn't have to know a schedule. You could just show up and know that there would be a bus on one of those major spines and then have a network of other um, mobility options to get you the rest of the way there, whether that's, right. you know, uh, a, a microtransit, a, a scooter, a bike, uh, whatever. Um, then you would free up a lot of capacity for people who need to drive when they need to drive because people do need to drive for, for different reasons. Right, because if you people say, okay, you remove that lane, I think I understand what you're saying. People say, hold on a second. If you remove that one lane, there's uh, how many lanes are there in Sunset? Two or three? Um, four, four, four to six. Okay. So people but say, hey, if you remove that one lane, that's going to clog all the other lanes. Mm-hmm. So traffic's going to be really bad for me if I'm not taking the bus. Mm-hmm. But then you would say back to them, well, hold on a second. You're forgetting how many people who are, you know, just hopping on. If the bus was that much better, right, and it was really quick, you'd be removing so many people from their cars because yes. they'd be able to take the bus to go to the farmer's market or their brunch or whatever it is Um, because people forget how many cars one bus equals like yes. a bus is you can fit what 50 60 people on a metro easy um and that's 50 or 60 cars that's like imagine 50 or 60 cars compared to the size of one bus yes you in a car take up nine times as much space as you in a bus or you on a bike or you on foot or you traveling in some more efficient mode so when i look at a street like um uh, van nuys in pacoima and Panorama City, where those buses are at crush load capacity, right? You're moving Mm -hmm. a ton of humans in every single one of those buses, and they are having to sit and wait behind, you know, a line of cars that has one or two people in them. That's just not, that's just a geometry problem, right? We just don't have the space to do it that way. If we're going to keep growing, we have to figure out a way to, to favor the more efficient way of moving people. Yeah. The thing that the, the, the box that has a hundred people in it should get to go a little faster than the box that has one people in it is the, uh, yeah. And the box that has one person person (laughs) I said it wrong people in it Um, (laughs) it doesn't matter if that box is autonomous or electric or is an uber it's still taking up exactly the same amount of space right it's the whereas the box that's carrying a hundred people is taking up way less space and can be first of all uh, more social 
more enjoyable. Um, it can be more delightful to travel on public transit, I think, because when you don't have to deal with traffic turbulence, you can spend your time reading or, yeah. you know, you can spend your time thinking. We don't get to have enough time where we're bored anymore. Yeah. Where we're just staring out the window of a bus and people watching, you know, that that has a value. I really do. I really do feel that way about uh, that's what I enjoy about taking the bus. And actually the bus is even, you know, I was always a subway, a subway boy, but now I've become more of a bus boy. I take the, the bus a little more often. And um, I I actually didn't realize how much more social and experience the, the bus is, mm-hmm. especially um, the, uh, when I was uh, living in my previous home, I realized when, when I switched from driving to taking the bus, um, I was driving, it was a short commute. It was like a 15 minute drive from my place in Echo Park to our, to our office downtown. Um, and, uh, quick and easy, even a, even a nervous driver like me could handle it. But then one day I had like a bad experience where like there was a bicyclist who was in the lane and I was trying to give them room and people behind me were honking. So I tried to go around them and then someone else was zooming on my left and they honked at me. And I was just, I was just freaked out. And I was like, I fucking hate this. Mm -hmm. I don't like to do it. I don't want to do it anymore. Let me just see if there's a bus. It turns out that there was a a, a dash bus, which is one of, one of yours, I believe. Product placement. Yeah. Right there. (laughs) Not paid for. A dash bus. Because I'm government and I couldn't. (laughs) A dash bus being, it's separate from the Metro buses. They're more neighborhood buses, right? And um, uh, there's a dash bus that basically went from my house to my office. Oh, you had a dash commute? Very lucky. Yeah. I had a dash commute. 35 cents. 35 cents. 35 cents. 35 cents fare. And, you know, so I, sure, I was waiting on the curb a little bit, you know, but I, I figured out the system to text to find out when it was coming. Mm-hmm. And then we'd get on. And you know what I realized is I would start to see the same bus drivers. I started to recognize the bus drivers. There was one who was very nice. And he would say, good morning to everybody who got on the bus. <laughs> um, and he would say, I don't speak Spanish, so I don't remember. I could I could recognize what he was saying in Spanish, but I, ca- I can't repeat it because sure, I don't sure, remember. Sure. But I remember he would say to uh, children who, who were getting on the bus, like, get on board, children, like, and like that. And, and then I, uh, the most beautiful thing happened to me once, uh, he would, he, the drivers were so kind when there'd be an elderly person or a person in a wheelchair, that, you know, to help them get on the bus. And, you know, I saw, I saw so many moments of small kindness between people. And I saw this one time where the bus was pulling away from the stop and someone runs up and they bang on the door, right? And the bus driver stops and uh, the person gets on, they're holding a bouquet of flowers and they get on and they give it to another passenger and then they get off and they say goodbye, thank you to everybody. I don't know what that was and then she rode the rest of the ride with her bouquet of flowers. Ah, Dash is the best. I don't know what it was but I was like, this is a neighborhood, you know, these are just sort of, you know, folks who are going down to the park for the day or whatever and, you know, I'd say, oh, here's where the school kids get on Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, it was really, Really, really nice. And yeah. I know that, hey, sometimes people, again, have scary encounters on, uh, you know, uh, on transit, especially. Yeah, it's definitely a real issue, particularly for women. Yes. Um, and on transit, you know, there's a, it's one of the places where uh, our homeless neighbors and our non-homeless neighbors yep. come into interaction the most, which can be uncomfortable to people. That happens too. But at the same time, having that connection with your community is something that I really valued once I started doing it. Um, and yeah, that's, that's. Yeah. And it feels good to get out. When I get off the bus, I look at the driver and I say, thank you. Yeah. And that feels amazing. <laughs> I feel like I've really done something yeah. uh, to make everybody else to feel su- 
superior to everybody else on the bus, you know, both in terms of my manners and and just morally in general, which is always a nice charge for me <laughs> because I'm a bureaucrat and yeah. I don't get to do that. Okay. <laughs> um, but it also just feels nice to thank somebody, to be able to thank somebody for um, for doing a, a job that can be really incredibly difficult. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think that when people talk about how we're going to make transit so cheap because it's all going to be driverless. And I think, mm. well, you know, and then I, I ask them, well, who's going to do all these amazing things that you just articulated very specific, beautiful examples of what a transit operator does yeah. um, to, to give that sense of cohesion, to set the tone for everybody uh, to how to behave with each other, you know, to be friendly, to give you a lift, a boost. Uh, Watson is not going to do that. Yeah. Watson's not going to give you a break on your fare when you, Adam, show up and you're like, Alexa, oh, no. I'm in a wheel chair. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Help me on. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Um, who cares? Right. And, and that, that I think is important. And then the other thing that you got at, which I think is really, I think invisible is that what happens to your brain when you get behind the wheel of a car? Mm. And I don't know that I haven't seen any enough really good work on what happens. I've seen a little, a few different pieces, but there's a couple of things that happen in quick succession that you're not even aware of. Thing one is you become anonymous because you're mm. just a yep. license plate. You're not having a, a social human interaction with people. You're and and therefore you're communicating with this huge piece of steel right. or a horn. You lose your ability to communicate. Suddenly, yeah. suddenly it's like as the, you become face blind, you become deaf and you become right. mute. And all you can do is yell honk, honk, honk. Right. And that's your only means of communication. You don't even have body language. You don't even have, car. well, there's definitely gestures that oh, sure. you can, you <laughs> sure, can sure, use. Sure, sure, and sure, can sure. I just tell you, one pro tip, uh, the middle finger is not nearly as effective as the thumbs down. I'll just Ooh. say the middle finger, you give somebody the middle finger and they're like, yeah, you're a jerk and whatever. I, I don't even need to listen to you. You give somebody the thumbs down and people feel shamed. I'm going to start feel doing like, that. They feel like, oh man, it's like your mom gave you the thumbs I down. Because I, I tend to use the middle finger as a pedestrian because it's sort of one, of, I feel like one of your only tools and thumbs down I think is Thumbs is down. Yeah. But, you know, internet comment and chat rooms have shown us in, you know, full technicolor how humans behave when they think they're anonymous. Right. And I often think about that when I'm on the road, like what you just described, I'm here and there's a, I'm trying to be nice to this poor vulnerable person, but everybody's being mean and honking and people are swerving around me. That's like a, a comment section of the, it, on an article in the, on the internet, right? Yeah. People are just empowered to, uh, to sort of amplify the worst part of their natures right. and be incredibly selfish and anonymous. Now, having said all of this, this is in no way this whole thread a justification for the relatively abysmal job that we've done in the United States in providing good transit. Okay. There's a lot of great things about transit. We have done a really crappy job. And that is why Uber and Lyft were so successful right. in pulling people off of it because it's not a, a pleasant experience for most folks. We have to do better, mm -hmm. but we should be doubling down on that strategy and how to do that better because doubling down on a strategy where everybody has universal access to cars and it's the it's the default choice instead of the choice of last resort is what's gotten us into a lot of this trouble but if we don't 
there's this really interesting, there's this guy named Alex Roy. Um, he also has a podcast called The Autonicast, and he's amazing um, and a character. And he has this idea called universal basic mobility. Mm. So there's this idea of universal basic income, right, where you right. just sort of pay everybody a basic income so that they can, they're freed up to, to do other things. Um, but his idea is, instead of that, why don't we come up with an idea for universal basic mobility so that everybody has access to truly equitable, reliable, safe options that work for them that are that also work for the greater good? Um, because people who don't have um, who ha- who are low income have to pay a time penalty. Um, by riding public transit. Right. And that just exacerbates this wealth gap that we have because unlocking access to the transportation system unlocks economic mobility. Right. So we have to do a better job, though, in how we fund, prioritize, plan, and design public transit. Because if we don't, um, then, you know, we'll we'll get what we deserve. Yeah. And I, I, I often want to say to those folks who, you know, tweet at me, well, the public transit, public transit is terrible. So, you know, what else am I going to do? Right. I want to say, well, su- support public transit. Like it, 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 th- that shouldn't be a you stopping point You don't even need to take it every day. Just take it a couple times a month and yeah. it would make a huge difference. And, and, you know, vote for it. Right. That, that so many places have, you know, bond issues or, uh, you know, uh, referenda or, uh, you know, people running on improving public transit. Sometimes those motions are defeated uh, and, you know, having, having support for improving it uh, or, you know, Hey, if don't, don't show up to the neighborhood council meeting and yell about the, about the bus lane. Or right? the bike lane, or right? The bike lane, yeah. Because even in LA, when we're really, we're really pretty good at um, voting for the right things. You know, we voted to tax ourselves to to build out subway and light rail. We voted to tax ourselves to build uh, bridge housing for people who are, you know, um, presently homeless. Yes. Uh, we voted to do all of those things. But when, you know, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Mike Bonin, who is the, the council member who represents the west side of Los Angeles and Venice, has one of the highest concentrations of people who are living, you know, in tents and, and yeah. are homeless. Um he made this proposal to create a bridge housing uh, over in his district mm-hmm. and just unleashed holy hell. And these are probably people who voted to fund that. Yeah. That, but when it comes home to roost yeah. down the street, whether it's a bus lane and they have to give something up or they feel like they have to change their way of life, then all of a sudden we revert to sort of this lizard brain. Like our rational brain gets turned off completely. We forget about how we need to be acting in the interest of the greater good. And instead we go to this like internet comment place where right. we, we just write back, you know, um, in this kind of anonymous place where our, our way of life feels threatened and we're not willing to accept that. Yeah. But we uh, uh, should be thinking about it as not, I, I'm glad that you said that, you know, we need to do a better job of uh, creating transit. I assume you mean we sort of the civic, I, I, you're the avatar of government <laughs> with a mouth saying that. Um, but I think that, uh, I extend that to everybody, you know, that, that yes. we, like the government is an expression of ourselves it's a shared as, responsibility. as a society. And we, yeah. we all should be, uh, you know, providing, trying to provide those more means of transit for each other. Um, well, on that note, uh, let's take a really quick break. We'll be right back with more from Salita Reynolds. As a factually listener, you're probably aware of my unwavering commitment to online privacy. Well, Delete Me has been an indispensable tool for me for many years, long before they even started advertising on this show. 
I've been using their wonderful service. In today's digital landscape, you know, it's alarmingly easy for data brokers to traffic your personal information online. In fact, I would almost guarantee that your personal information is on multiple data broker sites on the internet right now. It's not even the dark web, it's the regular web. These data brokers may be peddling and exchanging your name, phone number, and home address all without your knowledge. And trying to locate and remove all this data yourself can feel like an impossible task because there can be dozens of these sites. But that is what Delete Me does for you. Delete Me's team of experts scours the depths and the breadth of the internet to locate and remove your personal data. Within just seven days, you'll receive a comprehensive report detailing their findings and what they have removed. It can be hard to believe, but approximately 41% of Americans find themselves vulnerable to various forms of online harassment, and this means doxing, scams, and even identity theft, all of which pose significant threats to your financial security and could potentially derail career opportunities. I mean, I used to get weird people calling my cell phone all hours of the day or night until I signed up for Delete Me and it cut it right out. So if you wanna safeguard yourself like that and live with the peace of mind that experts are hunting down and removing your personal information every three months, then check out Delete Me. Go to joindeleteme.com slash Adam and get 20% off for all consumer plans with the code Adam. That's joindeleteme.com slash Adam. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Okay, we're back. Um, so uh, let's recap and move forward. Uh, we want to reduce the number of people driving, but we don't want to simply shame at them and yell at them and say, you shouldn't be driving. And we don't want to make it harder for them to move around their communities and take away options. What we actually want to do is we want to, correct me if I'm wrong, increase transit options um, so that people are able to move around just as fluidly and even, dare I say, better without cars. Right. We want to make driving by yourself the choice of last resort, mm. not your default choice. So how do we do that? And how are we trying to do that right now in Los Angeles? So I think, first of all, you have to give people real choices. And, you know, that may or may not be something that the public sector does. There are actually a lot of great examples of really interesting mobility innovations that come from the private sector. And we're in this unprecedented moment, uh, which we talked about before, where there's literally billions of dollars of venture capital being poured into transportation startups. Right. You know, of every color and ilk. I just saw a brand new, like, I was just walking around and I saw a bike, uh, like a private bike rental thing that, uh, like, a bike appeared before me. Yes. Like I, I walked away and then I walked back and someone had left like a bike that I could rent for a ding, ding. I didn't even know this existed. It was like suddenly the tech industry just dropped a bike on the street. Voila. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> and yeah, you're right. People are really funding these things. Um, there's a lot of money behind them. Yes. And 
I'm, I'm hope, I mean, part of me is really excited because, you know, we toiled away in transportation for a really long time and I would go around and, and ask private companies, well, would you be interested in giving us a few pennies, sir, for this bike lane? Uh, and they would be like, get out of my office, you're garbage. Um, but now these companies are really interested in it and I'm, 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 they're starting to figure it out, but I'm, and I, I don't want to really totally spoil the party, but it's actually really hard to make money in public transit. <laughs> Transportation's not this like huge yeah. money making venture unless you're like Japan and you unlock um, and are able to capture the, the value of the land um, that transit creates. So when a transit oh. station, so in Japan, they do this really, they have this really interesting model where um, the rail company, which, uh, is, is privatized, I'm pretty sure, um, is also the company that is developing the land around all of the transit mm. stations. And one thing we know about transit is that it does increase the value, especially rail transit and, right. and those stations. They increase the value and they increase the attractiveness of development to come in and invest in those communities for better and for worse. Totally. Um when you, but when you're looking for a place and it's right there in the in the realtor ad, hey, steps from transit. Uh, that's right. And that, oh, that that's why we're going to be able to charge an extra fifty grand for this home or whatever because yeah. it's so close to the train. It's so yeah. close to the train, and because at least in California we've done a pretty poor job of building adequate housing overall. Yeah. That effect yeah. is even more distorted. That's a different podcast I'll do in a couple weeks. Is about <laughs> housing. Adam Ryan's housing. <laughs> yep, Great. we always did that episode, and it's another big issue for me. So yeah, it's um, huge. It's you, and they're tied together: transportation and, and land use, transportation yeah. and housing. They're really intimately linked. Um, but that the the effect that we're talking about, where transit, you know, increases the land use value, is uh, amplified in a place where you have low supply overall. Mm -hmm. And so we've created these really uh, beautiful, precious communities called transit-oriented communities, um, and made them really desirable. But then people, you know, we've we've perhaps had some unintended consequences where we've displaced folks uh, really? from their neighborhood because they can no longer live there. Um, yeah. Transit doesn't create displacement, but it is a really good predictor of where it's going to happen, hmm. where there is that kind of um, housing instability and the arrival of transit portends that um, the those folks are, are potentially going to get It's another displaced. unintended consequence. Yes, of, of a good thing, of public transit. Yeah. Um, Metro is doing some really interesting work in this arena. Um, they're actually using transportation dollars to try and build not just housing, but but invest in other things that people who are in the neighborhood now um, might need, uh, like daycare centers or, um, you know, other kinds of uh, funds, community, community land trusts and other things um, to try and keep people in place, but nobody has solved this. Yeah. Um, and until we build enough supply, then we're not going to get there. The other interesting thing is that the more expensive uh, um, uh, sort of a higher income households generate more car trips mm. overall. Right. Right. So, and we looked at this data in Los Angeles and actually market rate and affordable um, multifamily housing, so like apartments, um, use far fewer parking spaces than uh, higher income condos and, and apartments. So we build these these uh, apartments near transit because we want people to be able to live near the train because that's good for everybody. They're driving less. But guess what? If they're really expensive, we might have actually, you know, diluted even that 
um, because those people are going to drive because they're wealthy. Yeah, exactly. Or there's just more like the person that cleans their house drives over the person that take their nanny needs a car, right? They have other services and other people who, uh, you know, are part of their household or, or, um, you know, participate in their household that are also creating trips. So if we're not really careful about how we're developing those areas, even when we build the transit, we might not be getting as many rides as we want. Right. And we might not get that kind of benefit of, of, um, lowering the number of people who are driving, but, but you were saying these, for-profit companies yes. can't can't make their can't make their money on transit. They're th- well, and when you the, what's we're in this really interesting moment where both Lyft and Uber are on a run-up to initial public offerings. Are they really? And so they're starting to disclose, you know, their numbers. And that's mm. uh, uh, not a, it's an open secret. This is not new information. But both of those companies have actually lost quite a bit of money. Um, oh yeah, because they have to. You know, they're they're subsidizing those rides. Those rides are not as cheap as they appear on your phone. Right. Well, and sometimes they're just in a straight up price war. Like I've mm-hmm. been in times where they're, you know, they're, a couple of years ago, Lyft and Uber were just competing to have the lowest rate. Right. Yeah. Um, then so what you see them doing now, which is really interesting, this you were, ta- were talking about mobility innovation is that they're both getting into the scooter and uh, bike business. So that yeah. bike you saw was I'm going to guess it was red. It was red. Um, yeah. I'm going to guess it said jump on it. I think. So. Um, that is a company that Uber owns. So that's and when you open the Uber app and you you want to get an Uber ride, those bikes will pop up in your mm. app. It'll say, "Want to take a bike ride instead?" Or or in addition, and actually they came out with some data last week that in the city of Sacramento there are more people using those jump bikes than actually taking Uber trips. Really now. I don't know where that data is coming from. I don't know whose data that is. I haven't dug into that data, but it is a really interesting data point. So, but again, here's this thing that we have to balance. That's good, right? That people are now, maybe they have a different choice for a short trip um, and it's right there and it's cheap and it's it's easy um, and they can take advantage of it. And maybe they're not calling for an, a, a car, which is a good thing. However... If Uber and Lyft create an effective duopoly on those kinds of modes, we call those walled gardens. uh, Or God forbid, one buys the other one out. Or a monopoly, right. Or there's some other company, right, Didi or some other company that comes in from, you know, somewhere else and buys them. um, And Didi is the uh, Chinese ride-hailing giant Mm. uh, that is – that basically uh, – made it so that Uber doesn't operate in China. But anyway, then we have we have a monopoly and that's a bad thing. Yeah. Right? That's not a good thing for mobility. Yeah. So in in LA, you know, what we've been trying to do is figure out how do we create a way to encourage that new mobility and that innovation to come in, but be really clear about the principles under which uh, we want that to happen. And then how can we build an elegant way of managing and sharing data in two directions with those new mobility providers as they open up in the app store that is the public realm, mm-hmm. right? That is the the public realm that I manage. The apps of life. <laughs> If you, take you will. the good, you take the bad. <laughs> the apps We can't get the rights. Don't sing anymore. We apps, can't, oh, no, we can't get the rights. <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Uh, yeah, I mean. We can't get the 
That was, it was the perfect. Of life. It was perfect. It was perfect. But if you sing more than oh, two bars, okay. the lawyers All right, come. Cool. Uh, who's, well, who's the Mrs. Garrett of the apps of life? That, oh my could, gosh. Could that be me? I totally could. Could I, I totally be Mrs. Could. Garrett? Because I would be super into that. And what like, are the rest of the Uber names? Uber could be Joe. They're all named like Tootie and Pootie Joe. or something like that. <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> Tootie is an icon who went around on roller skates because she was too short. Joe was the sort of tomboy. Um, and then yeah. there was Blair who had the blonde hair. So I think maybe Uber is Blair <laughs> and maybe Lyft is Tootie. <laughs> I think maybe. And you're running the house. <laughs> and I'm Mrs. Garrett. I, I love that. And I'm That's, Mrs. Garrett. This is a really good political cartoon, I think. I'd love to see this rendered. If someone can, wants to draw it and send it in. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so we've come up with this idea um, using APIs, which are really just uh, is a way of saying, I think of it as, um, and my chief technologist is going to cringe, but I think of it as just robot language. Yeah. Um, it's, how, it's how different data services talk to each other. Yes. Uh, is they use an API right. to do it. Because yeah. these companies, and there's 11 of them, by the way, who have uh, applied to ha- operate, to have bikes and scooters, wow. 38,000 bikes and scooters in Los Angeles. Lime, Bird, Jump and a bunch of others. Uber, Lyft. Oh, there's and there's just Spin, which is owned by Ford. There's this one called Clout. They all have one clever. <laughs> they all have one. <laughs> yeah, word one word names. names. Yeah, um, that's the trend now. And they're right. And they're you know there's it's it's totally fascinating. And I'm I'm really excited that we're going to get so many of them in Los Angeles because I think we're going to learn a ton about how people move around. But it gave us this opportunity. Those systems are all every single one of those. Sh- shared devices is talking to each other and talking to their mothership and telling telling the mothership, here's where I am right now and here's where I just was and here's where I went and here's how I'm moving. They're creating, in effect, a new map of the city yeah. that, that, um, that I really want to be able to understand both as a planner and somebody who wants to go build safe places for people to ride, but also as a regulator because yeah. there's some places that they're not allowed to be mm-hmm. um, and- and, and there might be some places that are underserving that you want to exactly. say, hey, no, you guys, if you want to run, you've got to be over here. You have to make, yes. you got to put your scooters in this neighborhood because these people need them. And I know you don't want to go there, but you got to. But you got to. Yeah. So that idea that the city would now have a version of our own APIs um, that where we're talking to these services and we're telling them and, you know, where we're giving them information and we're getting information from them is a really new idea. Um, And so I, because I think this, that my role, the city's role, I don't, I mean, I guess maybe I could be in the scooter business. I don't really think it's my role to be the scooter czarina of Los Angeles <laughs> and try and manufacture and deploy my own scooters. Yeah. Uh, instead, I should make it really easy to for these companies to come in and operate and be successful. Um, and, and In ways that actually reduce traffic. Yeah. And driving. Exactly. Because you could see scooters are not the first new mobility idea and they won't be the last you know, there's a whole bunch of other uh, types of devices that yeah. people want to operate. Little golf carts, uh, little, I'm not joking, little pods, uh, hoverboards. Zip lines. Eventually, yeah, drones, people, right? People All that are, kind of stuff. People always ask me because they know I, I care about public transit and then I've done it on the show. People say, oh, what do you think about the scooters? And I'm like, look, I when they came to my neighborhood, I got on one once and I went literally three feet and I hopped <laughs> off and I said, no, Done. I feel, I felt so unsafe. Like I just yeah. don't, 
uh, you know, skateboard. I've never been on a skateboard. Me neither. I, I'm pretty uncomfortable on a bike, frankly. I'm just like, I have sort of a, like a motion, you know, I'd like to be on my own feet, right? Yep. That, that's what makes me comfortable. Uh-huh. And having had that experience, I was like, look, I'm a, I'm a 35 year old man. You're grown. And, and I could, you know, I'm the type of person who could use these. What about, if you look at the number of people who can use those scooters, what a, it's very small, you mm-hmm. know, it's not, uh, it's, you know, anyone over the age of 50 is not riding, or l- let's just even say a little bit old, older. If you've got a bad hip, you shouldn't be on one of the scooters, right. right? You need good balance. You need to be in good shape. You need to be comfortable riding yeah. one of those things on the street. Pretty ableist. And so, yeah. And so if you look- everybody can use them. Yeah, exactly. So if you look at the number of, even the, the target market for these, it's probably gonna be what, 20% of people in Los Angeles. Max. But, but hey, if those people can use it, Maybe it's that's part of the piece, solution. Maybe that's part of the puzzle, yes. right? And so that's that's sort of my ambivalence about it. But yep. if you have a whole bunch of solutions like that, and then there's also something for you know, yeah, folks in wheelchairs, folks, uh, the, mm-hmm. you know, the elderly, um, and they have ways to get around comfortably themselves. And everyone has their own little weird thing that they use. And other we're than not driving. violating, you know, older adults in particular uh, when they you know lose their driver's license or they're low income older adults, they walk walk and they take transit, mm-hmm. you know, and they may use a mobility assist device. They got a walker, they got a wheelchair, they got a cane, they got a who knows what, right? Yeah. Every, all, all those kinds of things. When uh, scooters have motors, these scooters have motors and they go 17 miles an hour. Some of them maybe a little faster uh, and they're on the sidewalk going that fast. Yeah. You know, then you've, you've created this a imbalance. Um, part of the reason that exists is because we've given over so much space to cars that all the other modes have to fight it out for like this <laughs> on one a sidewalk. little eight feet of sidewalk. And sometimes there isn't a sidewalk. In many places That's in Los right. Angeles, there simply is not a sidewalk. Yes. And then when they, these things park, I mean, you described like I turned around and voila, there it was, right? <laughs> and there's no... There's no, uh, if you're a person who's, hopefully you, you're considerate and you park that thing or you leave it out of the middle of the sidewalk. Yeah. Um, but I just saw that there's a group of disability advocates in San Diego that just brought a lawsuit against the scooters because mm. they're impeding the accessible right of way. Yeah. So there's all of these things. It, it is really important to get this stuff right when you're trying to manage the public realm and y- that you think about everybody who has to use it because it can work. But the but the the folks who manage the streets got to be in there, and yeah. I think the tech the sort of tech mindset is um, that they would they would just as soon prefer that we were not. Of course, uh, oh yeah, we we disrupt, we uh, run over regulation. You know, we don't we'll just ignore they're not, it. They're hey, not all like that, but better for, you to know, it, it, it's a I get it. It's It'd a be better for them. Better to apologize than ask permission mindset, mm-hmm. um, which is not great when the people that you're apologizing to are real people who are being hurt. You know, in, in right. manifest ways and vulnerable people. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, I I think it's. Uh, it it seems I'm often skeptical of public private partnerships, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in general, between government and business, because usually it's the businesses that are winning, yeah. right? Um, and they've like captured whatever bureau they're working with, and and uh, you know they're running roughshod over them. But in transit, 
Like, I do have to say, like, you as the manager of, hey, I'm going to make sure all these play nice together. I'm going to make sure that they're actually serving our needs, actually getting people out of cars because I've got the public interest at heart. Even though the company, the companies are trying to make money as much as they uh, care about the public interest, they put money first. You put public interest first. Can we work together? I have to say I'm less skeptical because public transit in America has historically been a public-private par- partnership. I mean, the subways in New York were originally uh, private rail lines. That's right. Um, and, and so were the red car lines in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, people stopped using them and there was no longer a profit motive. Uh, there was no longer money to be made. And so they were dismantled. Right. And it, uh, uh, this is a really interesting narrative that you'll hear, you know, who framed Roger Rabbit, all that, like right, people, that the tire companies came in and dismantled the wreck. People not- tell me that all the time. They say, oh, Adam, uh, you talk about streetcars, but you didn't talk about this conspiracy. I learned it in this great movie, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> you got to check it out. It's a documentary. <laughs> So on Netflix, <laughs> but there's like there's like some amount the of noted truth to it. Scholar Bob Hoskins, <laughs> yeah, no, Jessica Rabbit. Uh-uh. Um, the I think that that what actually happened is that people stopped using them mm. uh, as much, and that's because Los Angeles, in particular, you know, we sh- we've shaped this city in the image of the mass of the big disruption of that time, which was cars. Yeah. And we created all of these separated motorways. We criminalized jaywalking. I think LA was the first city in the United States to make it a crime to step off the corner wherever you wanted. I mean, imagine that, like to live in a world where, hey, yeah, everyone gets to use the street and suddenly it's a crime crime. to step into the street. And when I tell people, when I do this talk and I tell people that fact and I just pause there always and remind, I just Please remember this, that it was the the American Automobile uh, Club and the the vehicle manufacturers that that created this term and that made it a, and then cities made it a crime. Remember that whenever you hear anybody working on an autonomous vehicle software stack who says, you know, I just can't solve for those pesky pedestrians. What are we yeah. going to do about that? Um, and it just makes me think that. You know, there's another whatever the autonomous vehicle version of jaywalking is, you know, maybe it's that you can't cross the street unless you have you're wearing some weird beacon or something yeah. that a car can can uh, an, an that autonomous is vehicle. The, that's can the fear about you. autonomous vehicles. Right. That, that yeah. I have is that. Uh, they're going to get them 95% of the way to towards working and being safe. And then the rest of us are going to have to fill in the other 5% by accounting for, you know, trying to figure out how the algorithms work and right. redesigning our streets and making everything. Hold on a second. Well, robots are driving on these now, so we really can't have any interruptions. So we yeah. better fence it off and make sure no one can go in these things because, you know, essentially these have to be pneumatic tubes, essentially. And we have to, yeah. you know. because to... To program truly unfettered uh, autonomous vehicles that can go anywhere that, you know, whether or not it's mapped in their LIDAR brains and that um, can move around sort of with impunity, the level of complexity to program that in an urban environment, which has limitless edge cases. Yeah. It is, it's the real world. It I, I, make, I joke about this, but it's kind of true you kind of can't get there until the singularity. Like the human brain, <laughs> the complexity of the thing is so crazy that it exceeds, it's going to exceed our ability to program. And until robots can do the programming yeah. for these AVs, we're not going to actually get to that. And so that means that we're going to get to something less than that, which is going to re- make 
place all these weird convoluted requirements on how infrastructure works and yeah. how cities how cities work if we're not really careful. And it really bothers me. One of the things that bothers me uh, the most about Elon Musk <laughs> is that uh, really to, to, to come we're going to bring him. it back to Elon. Well, well, it always it all comes back to heart. Elon Musk. It always comes back to him. No, bless his heart. But uh, it's not just him. It's it's the it's this industry in general. He's is, the av- if I'm the avatar for government, then he's the avatar for yeah. that sort of Silicon Valley totally. mindset. And and the and man, I would be. So on his side with all these transit issues, if he, if I felt like he was listening to folks who know their business That's about right. transit and, and was really being pretty, but when he says things like induced demand is a myth or when right. he, when he, sh- when he sloughs off that, you, you know, being a good partner in that way, that's what frustrates me. Cause I do think the role is there, right? I, yes. I really do in, in the way that I said, like, um, you know, Hey, the, the, uh, you know, I'd be interested in tunnels if it weren't because becoming increasingly clear that these are just private roads for Teslas to drive down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that that's not going to solve congestion. Yeah. Um, and that, and that they seem so resistant to listening to the message just that do your known. homework, do your homework, please. There's this va- the value that's like, if you do your homework, somehow that will violate you as a disruptor and it'll, it'll yeah. pollute your pure disruptor brain and you won't be able to effectively disrupt yeah. whatever you're disrupting. You're, you're, you're a rational, per- right? You're a rational science-based person. That's what he's all about. Well then listen to the scientists and be yeah. rational about it. But the thing that bothers me the most that I was or in the sentence that I was saying earlier uh, was uh, how quickly they go to blaming the people when the autonomous cars kill them. Right. (laughs) That like it's always every single time someone dies in an autonomous vehicle. Oh, well, they were just, uh, you know, they were they were they weren't paying attention. They were watching a movie. They shouldn't have been crossing the street. They should. No, 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 no. You're the car was driving. So the car and the car crashed. Right. I think the I think the person who designed the car that killed the person should say, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll, try, we'll try to we'll try to make a better one. You know, we'll Yeah, we'll and try maybe to, we shouldn't is, brand something autopilot when it yeah. isn't. Yeah, exactly. Right. And give people this false sen- false notion that they can sleep and they can watch a movie. And there was that um what was that movie bird? box, right? Where, yeah, they, where they're covering the eyes. Covering yeah. the eyes. And then I saw on social media, people are doing this bird box challenge in their yeah. Teslas where they're like, look, I'm doing the bird box. Oh my gosh, blindfolded. Yeah. Um, because look, the human factors, again, back to the science, the human factors research is really, really clear. And I had this discussion actually about somebody who was in, uh, and this is several years ago. I don't know if they're still there, but um, was in uh, um, Tesla's legal department. And I said, but y'all know that Humans are not good at maintaining constant vigilance. We're not even in autonomous cars now and we can't do it. We're always peeking at our phones or looking at our radio or whatever it is. And now you've given them a permission slip that makes them think they can, they will. And the research is really, these experiments are really fascinating where, you know, they'll they'll have a, a human in a car on a track and then the the person is trying to figure out what is it going to take for the human to re-engage in the act of driving when the car hits a moment that it cannot it can't manage it's too yeah. complicated how, or whatever how do you get the person to take the wheel again right and 
there really isn't a good way of doing it really? with immediacy because what happens is, you know, the car will beep. They, they try all kinds of things, noises, bright lights, like all kinds of stuff. And usually what happens is the person is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me just finish this email. Right. It's like somehow, <laughs> there's still this sense yeah. that, or they're asleep in the backseat of the car. Yeah. And there's no we just know that's what humans well, do. And there's this weird conflict where the point of autonomous driving, hey, you won't have to drive the car. You you will get to tune out, right? But then once there is an incident, well, they weren't paying attention and they should have grabbed the wheel once right. they saw the what thing. What we happening. wanted them well, to which do one is it? tune out, but not tune out. And yeah. we can't. We're just not going to. There, that. there was some case where, uh, and I might be misremembering. This is something I read months ago, but um, it was a case where I think a person was killed in an autonomous vehicle, and um, it hit you know where a, where a lane splits um, mm-hmm. for an exit, and there's like a little you know there's like a post like a stanchion like a thing. Called a gore. A gore. Okay. And so uh, the guy's car drove right into it. And he had said in previous days, he was like, that's funny. Whenever I go by this, my car seems to want to steer into it. Oh, in, uh, because there's something that's tricking the AI. Mm-hmm. And then one day it happened and Lo he didn't and correct for it. Yeah. Um, oh, now, that's so sad. Again, this is my memory and, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't want to misrepresent the, ca- the facts of a real case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd have to Google the exact incident to figure out beep, what it was, beep, but beep. yeah, people beep, beep. But, um, you know, that's, that's again, unattended consequences, right? Once mm-hmm. we, we, ha- it's easy to imagine autonomous vehicles are going to solve all of this. Autonomous electric vehicles are going to solve all this, but we don't know in the same way that we had no idea that Uber and Lyft would lead to more cars on the road until we tried it. We don't know what autonomous vehicles are going to do to our roads, to our way of life, to, uh, our safety until they're actually out there. And it's incumbent upon the people who are building them to make sure that those impacts are negative. And we can't rely on them to do that, right? Yeah. We've seen over and over again that... that um, They want to throw their hands up and They're not going to self-police. Yeah. They're yeah. just not, right? And so government has to be in there um, in a realistic way. And I think that, you know, the, the Tesla autopilot um, is a really good example, right? This is, you know, these are not even unintended consequences. You know that that humans are not going to be as vigilant as you need them to be. Um, and and Tesla even, and maybe uh, National Traffic Safety Board, both released this statistic about how Teslas were X percent safer. And then lo and behold, behold and lo, come to find out that was just a false stat. Mm. Um, and so there's just this mutually reinforcing kind of um, inertia towards the, these things are really good and uh, we should be, you know, deploying them at scale without sort of, you know, somebody standing over in the corner saying, hey, but we know that people are not going to be capable of dealing with the technology and the way that you're deploying it right. and what you're calling it. So whenever the car is in, you know, quote unquote, autopilot mode or whatever we're going to label it, then there should be a speed governor, on that car and it shouldn't be able to go fast enough to kill somebody Hmm. because we know the tech is not perfect. Now, no auto manufacturer, including Tesla, which has an insane mode on their car um, (laughs) and who built, you know, wanted to build a sexy, fast electric vehicle um, is going to do that. And, and so for that reason alone, you know, government needs to be in there to say, okay, we're going to hold everybody accountable and be the grown up in the room. So let me, let me end with this question, uh, because talking to you is 
very makes me feel real good because you know your shit so well. You're on top of it. You are talking about all these it's services. It's all an like, illusion. <laughs> I just sit around watching facts of life. I'm like, she's got, uh, hearing you, I'm like, she's got the scooters and the bike people and the lift and everything wrapped around her little finger and she's keeping tabs on all of them and she's, and, and Salita's here making sure that uh, she's the watchdog uh, uh, and so I'll, uh, and, uh, but even if I grant that, right, and and allow myself to live in that, uh, mm-hmm. live in that world, is that happening in other cities? Is that happening nationally? Is it, do you feel that uh, the uh, the governments, the city, state, and national governments are are stepping up to what needs to be done here? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that for most people who sit in my seat, you know, you're talking about folks who have spent a lifetime in transportation. They really know what they're doing. Um, but not every city has a department of transportation. Some cities house transportation inside a public works department. So you'll mm. have your leader uh, be a guy or a woman who knows a lot about sewers, just to bring it back to sewers. Yeah, um, or, stuff. you know, other other stuff that are in the guts of the city that, that um, those those uh, agencies are responsible for. But even said, having said that, the people who are in charge of transportation, this is an operational job. The day-to-day pressure to just keep the system running, to respond to emergencies, right. um, to make sure that when your, your transportation planners are out there trying to plan a bike lane, that they don't get, you know, covered in uh, rotten tomatoes when they go to to public meetings to make sure that you're evaluating your development properly and keeping your city council and your mayor or your city manager happy. Um, that's just enough right there. They don't yeah. have it's enough time to, tread water. to to learn about what an API is yeah. or how a city could behave more like a product company um, and how that might benefit a city and a product company and, and what levers to use to kind of nudge product companies to behave more like cities, right? So it's not so much a failing of um, creativity or talent. It's just a failing of time and training. Mm. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities there. And what I see is that there are um, some incredible leaders in transportation departments uh, at the city level across the U.S. who are doing really good stuff and who are sharing information. So cities are not like private companies and we share, you know, we're better when we share information and we have frameworks to do that um, really effectively. At the national level, I have some questions. Um, And I'll just give a couple of examples. Yeah. Uh, Example number one is uh, the the folks at the USDOT and uh, National Traffic Safety Bureau and National um, Highway Traffic Safety Association have known for a really long time that the reason why pedestrian deaths are spiking in the United States is because we're buying more SUVs. However, they have steadily put out information to sh- to imply that the reason people are dying when they're walking is because they're distracted by their phones. Yeah. Um, Elaine Chow, who's the Secretary of, of Transportation for the U.S., has said about autonomous vehicles that um, she wants to create a system where they sort of self-certify um, because that that has worked really well in aviation. And that is such a broad misread of why airplanes are safe um, that it just makes me wonder, is there really somebody at the national level that is bringing the care and rigor required to these kinds of issues? Um, Or is it, you know, sort of a... um, 
is there heavy influence from sort of the, the right. private sector? And then globally, uh, I think that Europe is doing some really interesting stuff, um, both around privacy as well as um, they just came out with a potential requirement for cars to have speed governors on them. Um, I saw that. In Europe, right? So those kind of moves. It, 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 it's such a basic thing that when, when you yeah. realize that we don't have it, like, hold on a second. Breaking the speed limit is against the law. The faster you go, the more people you kill. Right. right? So why not, if the speed limit is, you know, uh, uh, you know, speed limit 60, everyone drives 70, fine, make it 70, you right. know, even, even that much, right? Why not just make the cars not just be able to go faster than 70? 70 is fast, you know? <laughs> we all know that's fast. Yeah. I understand you really, hey, maybe you're late for the airport or whatever, but like- 70 miles is fast. Yeah. Why not just make it so the cars can't go that fast? And then you realize, okay, well, that's something that the auto manufacturers have been fighting against. Precisely. And that's, the, I mean, that's one of the reasons right. that they fought back against jaywalking because cities were talking, or so that they created the idea of jaywalking. Cities were talking about in the 30s, hey, we should just put speed governors on these things because when they go over 30 miles an hour, they tend to kill children in the streets. Right. Um, and it was Maybe in response. we don't want to do that. It was in response specifically to that, that they right. started the campaign to blame the pedestrians. Yes. Um, and so, so when you realize, oh, wait, we why not just do it? It's very, it really reconfigures the way you think about our relationship with these vehicles. With these vehicles. I think then, you know, when you start thinking about um, Asia and China in particular, that's a whole nother thing, right? Beijing is in the middle of trying to solve their traffic problem by forcibly moving people out of the city. Um, mm. And so, you know, there's, they're kind of a... Um, there's a, a a a rich tapestry, if you will, <laughs> of work yeah. being done, and I think that the the position that we have in Los Angeles that I think is um, hopefully will make you feel will feel better is that you know the biggest city in the biggest state, and when we published, for example, those APIs that I mentioned earlier, um, about 15 other cities in the United States and a couple of them globally adopted them. Wow! And so we have the power to nudge the market and to try and change the relationship between public and private. Yeah. Um, if we are able to sort of um, have the courage to do it. Got it. Well, thank you so much for being a part of that change. And thanks for coming to talk to us about it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much to Salida for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. We will be back next week with more mind-blowing facts and more great interviews. And remember, we are a brand new show, so please remember to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Adam Conover. Thank you to our producer, Dana Wickens, our researcher, Sam Roudman, and to the party god, Andrew WK, for our theme song. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. That was a HeadGum Podcast.